All right, so this is week two in our series called Poured Out, Learning to Serve Like Jesus Served. And I want to remind you about the main idea of the series. Everything that we know about authentic service comes from the example of God. Amazingly, the God of the universe reveals himself as a server. Jesus said, you know, the Son of Man did not come to be served, uh, to, to, serve, to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So when we talk about serving, we're talking about something that God does really well. And so it's something that we too ought to aspire to do and do it really well. I want to start out with a basic principle about life as we talk about serving versus non-serving this morning. Basic principle about life. And the principle is this. You cannot not serve someone or something. I mean, come on, Bob Dylan, the great Bob Dylan even said that. Bob Dylan said, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Some of you, uh, some of you can remember the lyrics to, to that. The question is not whether or not you will serve, it's what and whom you will serve. We're going to serve somebody. And so to think about this, I want to take you back to the scene in The Lord of the Rings, which is the Council of Elrond. At the Council of Elrond, the great people of Middle-earth are there. And the great people of Middle-earth are debating about what to do with the Ring of Power. You remember that the, the Ring of Power, I don't, I don't have it on here, but I'm holding up my wedding ring here. The Ring of Power was the ring that allowed you to have all power over Middle-earth. And you'll remember that the malevolent spirit Sauron wanted that for himself because if he could control Middle-earth, he could have all power. And at the Council of Elrond, they, they realized, we, we have got to unmake the ring. And the only place you can unmake it is in the fires of Mount Doom, the place where it was originally crafted. The great people of Middle-earth are there, and nobody wants to do this. Nobody wants to serve this really noble task of unmaking the ring. So who, who steps forward? Little Frodo, the hobbit from the Shire, the humble hobbit. He says, I'll take the ring. I just don't know where to go. It's an amazing scene. Because what it really does is it, is it highlights for us serving versus hesitancy to serve. The entire council is in chaos. And Frodo steps forward with the serving impulse. Now, throughout the rest of the trilogy, what we find is that you can, you can serve what is noble or you can serve what is trivial. Because the other person who wanted to serve the ring was Gollum. Gollum calls the ring, my precious. My precious. Why is it his precious? Because he's addicted to himself and the sense of significance he feels when he wears that ring. For Frodo, he's serving the truly noble. For Gollum, he's serving the truly trivial. That's the choice we, we make as, as followers of Jesus. You know, here we are, citizens of heaven, joint heirs with Christ. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good work, for service, and we can receive the mantle of that responsibility and serve and serve nobly, or we can neglect that 
and serve what is truly trivial. This morning, what I want to do is I want to show you uh, how you serve the noble and how to avoid this problem of serving the trivial. So we're going to start with a story, case study in serving versus non-serving, and it comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. So a little, a little background. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. It's written in 67 AD, and it was penned to, by Paul to Timothy, who was a young pastor, but really more than a pastor. Timothy was overseeing a movement that had begun in the city of Ephesus. And so Timothy has a lot of responsibilities traveling around, meeting with young pastors trained by the Apostle Paul, but who needed the leadership that Timothy could provide as an apostolic delegate. And so Timothy is the recipient of this second book by the Apostle Paul. And in verse 15, we hear something very surprising. You are aware, young Timothy, that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes. I had to practice pronouncing those names. Those are hard ones. Now, if you're Timothy and you read that statement, you would have been totally shocked. What do you mean everybody turned away from you, among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes? Here's why he would have been shocked. The reason why is when Paul got to Ephesus, he began a church planter training center. See, in Ephesus, it was, a, it was a coastal town. It was a seaport city. People were going back and forth in and out of Ephesus all the time. Because it was so busy, real estate was hard to come by. So Paul wanted to train young church planters. Where do you do it? So he hires out the Hall of Tyrannus, the School of Tyrannus. Now, Look, if a school is named Tyrannus, that means the school of the tyrant. I mean, that's not a good marketing thing. It's not a good branding thing, you know, for, for a school. In any event, he hires out the school during the siesta time. In Ephesus, they took siestas from 11 to 3. How about that for a siesta? 11 to 3, siesta time. But Ephesus was blisteringly hot during the day, and you rested in the hottest part of the day. So Paul begins to teach young, aspiring church planners how to, how to serve, how to build a movement, and then he sends them out all across Asia Minor. As they're going across Asia Minor, they're, they're becoming very, uh, very successful, most of them. And I want you to think about the level of commitment that it took to do this. I'm convinced that during this time, Paul was making tents. He's employed full-time. He would love to have had that siesta. I'm convinced that Paul's students were also working full-time. They would love to have had that siesta. Rather than doing that, they're investing themselves in training so that they could be used by God in ministry. And were they effective? They were effective. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's an astonishing statement. You know, the, Asia is, is not like Russia and China in this biblical category. Asia is the Anatolian Peninsula. It's what occupies modern-day Turkey. What he's saying, they were so successful at that school of Tyrannus in sending out church planners that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That doesn't mean 100% of everybody did, but, but 
the word of the Lord was available to everyone on the Anatolian Peninsula, or at least that, that section. I want you to notice the kind of equipping that Paul did in that training center. It wasn't just God's word. It was God's word combined with the power of the Spirit. It was word and Spirit both. Notice what happens in the next verse. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. That's amazing. Now, here's what I think is going on. Paul's working full-time as a, as a tent maker. He's making tents. Gets up early in the morning. He puts on his, his apron to make the tents. During the, he's at his workbench, you know, making things, and he needs that apron to protect his clothes. And then he gets hot during the day. So he has, he has rags, and he wipes away the sweat with the rags. So his apron and his rags have touched the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul's busy. He can't go heal everybody in the city of Ephesus because he's got a job. So what the people do is they take the sweat rags that Paul had used, and they take the aprons that Paul had used. They go to the sick person's house, and when those are applied to the sick person, they're healed. Now, why would that happen? The reason why that happened is because in Ephesus, there was a focus on magic. And what God is doing is he's saying, look, the power that comes from the good news, the gospel, is way more powerful than the black, dark, occult-like magic that is resident here in Ephesus. God triumphs over evil. This was a powerful ministry. And the people in his church planner training school are learning the principles both of the word and the spirit, both. It's the power of the supernatural, and it's the power of God's word. Both applied together led to a very powerful movement in and around Asia Minor. So what happened then? Well, the graduates fan out. They plant churches. I suspect the seven churches of Revelation were planted during this time. And again, the, the end result is astounding. All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. That's cool. That's really cool. But fast forward 13 years, what happens? 13 years later, Paul can say, all who are in Asia turned away from me. What? <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, all heard the word of the Lord. Now all abandoned Paul, all turned away from him among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes. This would, this would be like saying, everybody in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, has turned away from the Lord, including Josh McNall and Adam Miller. Like, what? No, not Josh and Adam. No. I, he, he would have been shocked by that. We're shocked by that. H how could that have happened in 13 years for everybody have turned away from Paul? Well, I want you to imagine Paul in Mamertine prison in Rome. Imagine a, a long and dingy corridor, and, and down in the stones there are grates, and in those grates are prisoners. There's no running water, there's no sanitation. In those grates are prisoners with long matted hair. In those grates there are prisoners with long fingernails. And there's a smell emanating from all of those, all of those places. And Paul is in one of those stinking 
hovels of a prison. Seems like if you knew Paul was there, you'd, you'd, you'd go to the prison and you would minister to Paul because Paul taught you the word. Paul taught you about the Holy Spirit. Paul taught you about healing prayer. Seems like somebody would have come. And yet, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagilus and Hermogenes. It's, it's tragic. Now, what this tells us is that the human impulse to service is fragile and it's perishable. It's perishable. What do I mean by perishable? You know, we have skills and we have impulses that are perishable. Think about a non-perishable skill. If you learn how to ride a bike and you don't ride a bike for five years, likely you can pick up a bike and continue to ride that bike. That's not really a perishable skill. But as I've said before, there are some skills that are very perishable. Flying an airplane is a perishable skill. If you fly an airplane every day for five years and then you take 18 months off and don't fly for 18 months, you're not going to get back up in an airplane and fly automatically. You're going to go back and you're going to get into the simulator and you're going to relearn the principles of how to fly that airplane. It's a perishable skill. Playing piano is also a perishable skill. You can be a concert pianist, and you can be an amazing piano player, but if you don't play for two years, you're, you're going to need to go back and begin to use that muscle memory again and re redevelop your ability to use scales. Flying an airplane and playing piano are perishable skills. And based upon what Paul is saying here, I believe the impulse to serve is a perishable impulse. If you don't stay at that commitment to serve, it is very easy for that impulse to begin to wane and decline to the point where you say, eh, I don't know if I really want to do that. I don't think I do. Now the story takes an amazing turn because uh, there is somebody who does come to the Apostle Paul. Um, not at the first offense, because at the first offense, everybody deserted him. There he's in prison. Nobody's there. Uh, but what about later? What about later? Here's this guy named Anisiphorus. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know, speaking to Timothy now, you know very well the services he rendered at Ephesus. Well, Anisiphorus's name literally means help bringer, and he brought tremendous help to Paul. Imagine how this took place. Anisiphorus hears through the grapevine that Paul is in prison. You know, they didn't have social media and emails back then. It was hard to hear news about loved ones back in the ancient world, but he hears news about Paul. So he says, I'm going to Rome. I'm going to Rome. He takes time off from his job. He boards a ship in Ephesus. He begins to sail in the Mediterranean Sea. It was a 1,000-mile trip and not in really cool, you know, like, Viking river cruise cabins with three-course meals, none of that. A thousand-mile trip, he's definitely roughing it. He gets to the, to, the Rome, to the city in the Italian peninsula called Puteoli. He debarks there, and he 
he hikes 100 miles to Rome. This was a very long trip. And when he gets there, he begins to, he begins to search after Paul. And this was incredibly dangerous. He's risking social stigma. Like Paul is in prison, a bad prison. If he starts searching around, people are going to say, what are you doing searching for bad people like Paul? Like, like what's wrong with you? Don't do that. That's bad. He's risking legal, legal jeopardy. What if the authorities suspect he's part of a subversive group? Maybe now he's going to be detained and questioned and arraigned. He's risking alienation from the church in Rome. Think, think about this. Uh, was the church in Rome ministering to the Apostle Paul during this time? Doesn't seem, seem like it. Paul wrote the book of Romans for the Roman church. And it doesn't appear as if the Roman church is ministering to the needs of the Apostle Paul. I can't say that for certain, but it seems like that's what's going on. Otherwise, Paul would have said something in 2 Timothy. The church at Rome has been amazing. Didn't say that. So if Anisiphorus starts asking about Paul, maybe the church in Rome is going to say, hey, hey you know, let's lay low about that. Like, we could get in trouble if we knew that you were searching after the Apostle Paul. I can imagine one day that Anisiphorus finds out where Paul is, and he, he goes... And he says to the guys at the Mamertine prison, hey, where, where's Paul located? Oh, you mean that guy, that subversive guy, that guy's upsetting the whole world. Yeah, he's in, he's in prison 13B. Where's that? Right over there. So he, he walks over there, and, and I can imagine him having a basket of food, some bread, some cheese. He's got some grapes, maybe some apples. And he's taking them to the Apostle Paul, and and he, there's 13B right there, and he lifts up the grate. He says, Paul, Paul, is that you? And he's Sephora's, yes, yes, it's me. How'd you find out that I was here? Man, I searched all over for you. I couldn't find you. And then he hands down the basket of food. And Paul's arms are shaking as he's receiving that food and tearing into that bread and the cheese and the grapes and the apples. He's thinking, oh, this tastes so good after what I've been used to. All these past, these past many months. And Anisiphorus stays there a long time that day. And he comes back the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next. And I can imagine one day, Anisiphorus says, hey, can I, can I go down inside the prison with my friend? Yeah, you can go down inside. And he's lowered down into this prison, and there is all the stench and filth of human sewage. And he's embracing his brother, who's dirty, who smells, whose hair is long, whose nails are long. He didn't look very good. And he embraces his brother. He says, I love you. I'm here for you. Anisiphorus refreshed Paul often. And he was not ashamed of the fact that he was in prison. Now, Apparently, Anisiphorus is no longer alive when this is, this is written. Notice how it says, uh, Anisiphorus, thank you. <laughs> doesn't say that. It says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. May Anisiphorus find mercy from the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. Apparently, Anisiphorus, the guy who had refreshed him so much, died. He died. And now Paul is alone 
again. Wow. Paul's always struggling <laughs> with aloneness in his, in his ministry. So let's step away from the story for a moment. What's the main idea of the story? Well, the main idea is, is simply this. There are two ways of doing the Christian life. You can nurture the biblical value of service, or you can allow the serving impulse to fade. This story presents us two different concepts of the Christian life, a concept of the Christian life that is dedicated toward serving, passionate, spirit-filled, Christ-centered serving, or it's, it's a version of the Christian life that says, I'm going to let it fade a little bit. I'm not going to get that involved in serving. I, I just think others can do this. I've done my time. I've done what I should be doing. Others, others, can, others can do this. So I want to ask the question, why is it that followers of Christ sometimes lose their intention to serve? If it's perishable, what makes it perishable? Well, let me give you five, five reasons. Reason number one, we don't serve because our values have been shaped by the world. Our values have been shaped by the world. We see this in 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul says, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. You know, Demas has an amazing reputation in the New Testament. He is a co-worker with the Apostle Paul. That's about the best title you could get in the early church. Co-worker with the Apostle Paul. But apparently Demas fell in love with this present world and said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not serving this any, serving anymore. I'm going to Thessalonica. It is a tax-free city. I can make some quick money, and I can do my thing in the world. Now, there's nothing wrong with making money. As a, we're commanded to be responsible providers of ourselves and our family. But Demas fell in love with the value system of the world, and he said, I'm not serving anymore. Let me tell you when it's easy to fall in love with the world. It's when you've enjoyed some measure of success. You know, you know when you're struggling to get success, you can be pretty humble. But when you get a bit of success, people recognize you. They give you kudos. They say, well done. You're awesome. You're amazing. Now people are serving you. And pretty soon you think, I'm, I'm, I'm hot stuff. Like, I'm pretty cool. Like, I've, I've got a great reputation People should be serving me. I don't need to be serving people. I'm not saying that you would ever say that, but that's the attitude that begins to creep into your mind. That's why, paradoxically, the people who serve tend to be the broken people, the, the hobbits. The hobbits serve. Humble hobbits serve. Because if you've been broken, if you've been broken, and you've been humbled in your brokenness, you know what it feels like to have been served. And now you say, I need to be a servant. I, I need to extend myself also in service. Here's a second reason why we tend to not serve. We don't serve because we don't grasp the privilege of operating in God's kingdom. You know, a, a great verse here is um, Colossians 1.13. When you came to Christ, you received a transfer. You were transferred from the domain of darkness, and you were transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. What's the culture of the kingdom? It's a culture of relational nearness and closeness and love. You are transferred into a place of love. Imagine for a second you're in jail. You're in solitary confinement. And one day somebody comes to you with a piece of paper and it says, you're being transferred from this maximum security prison 
solitary confinement to the Sandals Resort in the Bahamas. Darkness to light, solitary confinement to relationships. Wow. And if you're living in this place of power, being in God's kingdom, what you realize is I'm not just serving on my own. I have the power of the spirit. I have the power of the angelic hosts. I have the power of the body of Christ. And I can be bold and generous in my service because I've got power available to me. People don't serve because they forget they got the power. Here's another reason we don't serve. We don't serve because we think we're too busy. And the verse that goes along with this is Ephesians 5.16. Paul says, make the best of your time because the days are evil. Well, evil days refers to the ease with which we descend into trivialities and evil. I know all of you have experienced this at some level where you uh, clicked on to a YouTube site and another suggestion came up, you clicked onto that. Another suggestion came up and you clicked onto that. Still another suggestion came up and you clicked onto that. Still another suggestion came up and you clicked onto that. And then you bought something from the next suggestion. And pretty soon you realize, I have been doing nothing valuable for an hour. And I'm too busy to serve in my church. Very easy to get to that place. We, we, we think we are too busy. Here's another reason why we, why we don't serve. We don't serve because we haven't been challenged to serve. We haven't been challenged to serve. You know, uh, Paul challenges some people in the church of Colossae to serve. Here's an example. Colossians 4.17. Archippus, we don't know who this guy was. His name appears uh, here, I think only once actually. Archippus, see to it that you fulfill the ministry you received in the Lord. Now, look, if, if I were a member of the church of Colossae and a letter from the apostle Paul came and it's being read in the church of Colossae and all of a sudden it said, Rod, what? Rod, see to it you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I'd be thinking, I better pay attention to that. So what I want you to do is I want you to think about putting a blank where Archippus' name is and putting your name there. Because when you read the book of Colossians, what you should do is you, you, sh is you, you should say, Joe, fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Pam, fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Aaron, fulfill the ministry you've received in the Lord. Jean, fulfill the ministry you've received, received in the Lord. You, sh you should take it with that level of force because Paul challenges us to serve and serve in specific ways. All of us have a ministry. You've got spiritual gifts. You have natural talents. You've got, the, you've got personal interests. All of us can serve in some way, and God has given you a ministry somewhere. Use that ministry. Fulfill that ministry in the power that God, that God provides. Here's, <clears throat> here's a fifth reason. Um, fifth reason is we don't know what the needs are because... Um, we don't serve because we don't know what the needs are and don't feel like we've been, we've been equipped. That's the responsibility of staff and elders in a local church. If you look at the end of Romans, 1 Corinthians, Colossians, and 2 Timothy, you see Paul's greetings to the church. And I love reading those because you get a flavor for the culture of those churches. 
But one thing that's obvious about all those churches is there were needs. And Paul is challenging the people to meet those needs. I'll give you two quick examples. 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, When you come, bring the cloak I left in Carpus at Troas, with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Come before winter. I need that coat. And in 1 Corinthians 16.10, when Timothy comes, see to it you put him at ease, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. These are two, two, uh, two commands where Paul is saying, I need you to get involved in this specific way. By the way, you know, this was probably difficult for Timothy. I mean, when, you know, Timothy, imagine Timothy, go with me on this, okay? Timothy getting on to Expedia.com. And he's thinking, what's, what's the easiest way to get from, from Ephesus to Rome? You wouldn't go through Troas, right? You might, you, you might take a different way. He's got to go out of his way to get to Rome because Paul's got stuff in Troas that he needs to get in, in Rome. It's a highly specific need. And a lot of times people don't serve because they don't know what the needs are. It's a good thing when church leaders let the need be known so that service can take place according to those needs. All right, now with that in mind, let's look at some takeaways that are specific to Grace Community Church. Takeaway number one for us as a staff, this is a takeaway for us as staff and elders. We promise to maintain the right attitude when there are needs. I have been on the elder board or the pastoral staff of six different churches, ranging from Maryland to Los Angeles and Milwaukee to Texas, and my favorite state, Oklahoma, right? Don't all break out into song all, all at once, okay? Although you could have yesterday with all of the wind. And I've learned one big thing about church, church staffs and elders. When there are needs, church staff members get stressed. When there are needs, church elders get stressed. And with the stress comes the temptation to pressure, to scold, to lecture, to manipulate. And our promise is that we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're going to let the needs be known, but we're going to always maintain the right attitude. And the right attitude for a church staff or a church elder board is first to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest field. That's, that's number one. First thing is, is pray. I was on the elder board of a church many years ago, and there was a decline in the service of the members in this church. There was a decline among the impulse to serve all throughout the church. And the elder board went to the pastor, the senior pastor, and said, you have to confront the church. So we started with the elder board and the staff. And it was just really, really awkward to be an elder and to be scolded, scolded by the senior pastor. Not, not, not the best way to do it. Our promise is we're going to maintain the right attitude when there are needs, and the right attitude, first and foremost, is assiduous prayer. Second takeaway, 
This is also for us as a staff. We promise to make it logistically easy for you to volunteer. We're going we're gonna to make, make it easy. It's our, it's our responsibility to lead well. Now, I've told you multiple times, and I will continue to tell you, that our vision at Grace Community Church is wrapped up in a single word, and that word is transformation. It's transformation. We're here to help you grow. We're here to help you move forward. We're here to help catalyze discipleship in your life. We love it when people tell us, man, I feel like I'm really changing and growing. But that big picture has got to be translated into highly actionable steps. And our commitment to you is that we will make it logistically easy for you to volunteer. And we've done this in our volunteer ministry catalog. Um, Thank you so much last week for taking as many as you did. Sean told me he kept on going back and making more copies. But that ministry catalog is the way that we make it logistically easy to volunteer. We've come up with the categories of service. And if you say, I want to serve, well, the way in which you can serve according to our vision of transformation is going to be reflected in that catalog. That catalog is not, is not etched in two tablets of the, like the Ten Commandments, you know, in stone. It is a work in process. And as new ministry opportunities come along, we're going to be revising that volunteer ministry catalog. But um, we want to make it logistically easy for you to volunteer. And if you have a ministry idea that we don't know about, let us know. Because we want to, our, our goal is transformation. And if you know something that we can do to help people be transformed, let us know. We'll stick that in the ministry opportunities catalog and help re recruit a team to make that, to make that work. Third, third, cat, third takeaway is for you. We ask you to treasure God's purpose for this local church. Okay, I've, I've, I can think about the church I grew up in, Elmbrook Church, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It had a very definite culture to it. I can think about my son-in-law's church in suburban Seattle. It has a very definite, definite culture. Both were, are committed to reaching people for Christ. The way they went about doing it are relative to the cities in which they find themselves. Okay? So what we're asking is that you would treasure God's purpose for this church, Grace Community Church, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, set in the Midwest, set in the state of Oklahoma, set with a particular desire to facilitate transformation. So that when you serve you say to yourself, well, I'm just serving the kids. Or I'm just serving the youth. Or I'm just serving on the emergency response team. Or I'm just a greeter or an usher. Rather than that, I would hope you would say, I'm involved in a ministry of transformation. I help with the kids. I'm involved in a ministry of transformation. I help with the emergency response team. I'm involved in a ministry of transformation. I'm an usher or a greeter. So that rather than just serving the specific thing, you're serving as part of a larger vision that we have to be transformed and then extend that transformation out into our city, our state, our nation, and our world. It's, it's having that big picture that it's about transformation. And then the next takeaway is for all of us, find a specific place to serve. 
This is where you have to uh, take that, that serving impulse, which is perishable, and you have to say, I'm going to put serving into practice and build up my serving muscle so that my serving muscle trends in a strengthening Godward, Christward direction. I go back to the catalog. The catalog gives us the ways in which we can, we can do that. You know how sometimes people take catalogs and they go, I want to go on a Viking River cruise, so I'm going to get the Viking River catalog, and I'm going to dream about what's going to happen. Or they'll take the REI catalog. REI Outdoor has an amazing catalog, and you can go backpacking in Italy. You can go backpacking in France or Colorado, wherever, and you dream about the future. I know this is a big stretch, but could you take the volunteer ministry catalog and look at it and dream about what it would be like to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and have God say, well done, good and faithful servant, for the way you served at Grace Community Church. Well done. I love what you did in that local church in a mid-sized city, in a mid-sized state. You impacted eternity. Well done. That'd be cool. And the final takeaway is anticipate the power. Anticipate the power. Because if you're serving the wrong way, it can feel like drudgery and pain. But if you're serving the right way, empowered by the Spirit, empowered by the risen Christ, sensing that God is around you, the power is going to come. And you're going to see God do some pretty cool things in your life. So I want to close with uh, the words of Hamlet. To be or not to be? To serve or not to serve? That's the question. That's not really the question. You're going to serve someone or something. You're going to be a golem serving what is trivial or a Frodo serving what is weighty and important. Be like Frodo. No, no, no. Better yet, be like Anisa Forrest. Let's stand for a closing prayer.